The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Do we live in a simulated universe? Do multiple versions of ourselves exist in parallel universes, living out their lives in different timelines? An MIT computer scientist and Silicon Valley game pioneer explores these topics from a new lens, that of simulation theory. If we are living in a simulated universe composed of information that is rendered around us, then many of the complexities and baffling characteristics of our reality start to make more sense. In particular, the two most popular interpretations of quantum mechanics, the Copenhagen interpretation and the many worlds interpretation, which are thought to be mutually exclusive, can be unified in an information-based framework. Quantum computing lets us simulate complex phenomena in parallel, allowing the simulation to explore many realities at once to find the most quote-unquote optimum path forward. Could this explain not only the enigmatic Mandela effect, but provide us with a new understanding of time and space? Bring in his unique trademark style of combining video games, computer science, quantum physics, and computing with lots of philosophy and science fiction. Our special guest will share a new way to think about not just our universe, but all possible timelines in the multiverse. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focused Life Force Energy, MMS, Rebounders, Pure Organic Sulfur, Flash Drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas Seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. Rizwan Verk is a successful entrepreneur, venture capitalist, video game pioneer, best-selling author, and indie film producer. Riz writes on the intersection of science, science fiction, business, and spirituality. His startups, articles, and books have been featured in TechCrunch, Inc., Vox.com, The Boston Globe, NBC News, Coast to Coast AM, and even The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. Riz received a bachelor's degree in computer science and engineering from the MIT and a master's degree in management from Stanford's Graduate School of Business. His latest book is titled The Simulated Multiverse. An MIT computer scientist explores parallel universes, the simulation hypothesis, quantum computing, and the Mandela effects. His website is zenentrepreneur.com. Here's one work joins us from Tempe, Arizona. Hello, Riz, and welcome to Veritas. Hi, thanks for having me on. I'm doing well. Well, Riz, I've been trying to interview you for quite some time, and I'm glad you're here. But before we begin, let me say that I remember playing a computer video game back in 1989 called SimCity. And even back then, the thought of us living in a video game or a simulated reality came to mind. What if our lives are mostly scripted and everything that happens around us is part of a carefully orchestrated script or a computer code? Back then, when I mentioned it to others, they simply said that I was reading too much science fiction and laughed at me. I know this is still fringe 
to many, but this notion is supported by many scientists, philosophers, and even religious scholars, right? Yeah, well, like you, you know, I played video games back in the day, uh, going all the way back to the 80s, uh, when I had uh, an Atari system where we had our joysticks and we were playing these, uh, you know, classic games like uh, Pac-Man or Space Invaders. Yep. And, you know, there was a game called Pole Position, which was a racing game. And I remember thinking, even as a kid, as I watched the car go around the track, I'd see these people in the bleachers and I'd see some mountains off in the distance. And I'd always wonder what was beyond the mountains. Was there a virtual world, you know, inside this video game? And of course, I didn't know enough about computers or how they worked back then to really ask that as a serious question. And, you know, the quality of graphics back in the 80s were, you know, 8-bit, maybe 16-bit towards the end of the 80s. They were so bad that no one would take that question seriously. But, you know, even in the 80s, there were science fiction depictions with the holodeck uh, on Star Trek The Next Generation, for example. And so I think over the years, as our video game technology has gotten better, uh, that question has become, you know, less and less strange and less and less purely science fiction. I mean, it turns out the tools that are used to build uh, video games are the exact same tools and techniques that are used in special effects in movies. And so we can get very good resolution today. Uh, for a digital object to the point where if you're watching a movie like Blade Runner you know, 2049 or one of the Star Wars films, you might not know where the CGI ends and the physical thing is there. And so, you know, I think that has been one of the main factors in causing this to be less of a fringe topic, perhaps, than it was in the past, uh, because we can see that our video games, characters, uh, storylines, scenery, are getting more and more realistic. Um, and even in 1999, which was the year that The Matrix came out, uh, and this topic got you know, certainly some attention, even back then, most people wouldn't take the idea seriously, and they'd say it's just science fiction. And so that's you know one of the things that has, has caused it to be taken more seriously now. I actually got involved in more seriously back in 2016 when I was playing a virtual reality ping pong game. And while I was playing the game, uh, the responses felt so real in terms of when I would hit the ball and how I had to move my arm. Uh, even though the graphics weren't that great, uh, the responsiveness was was right on. So you could say the physics engine of that game was actually quite like our physics engine in, in what we call the physical world. And for a moment, I forgot I was playing a video game. I thought I was really playing table tennis. And I try, instinctively tried to put the paddle down on the table. And I tried to lean against the table. And of course, there was no table. <laughs> it was just virtual. And so that's when I began to, to, to think about you know, how long would it take us to get to what I call the simulation point, the point at which we would be able to create simulations which are indistinguishable from physical reality. And so by then, I, you know, certain you know, key figures like uh, Elon Musk or Nick Bostrom, who I can talk about in a minute, uh, you know, had already given this idea a little more a uh, little more credibility, so it was at least being discussed within a academia. Uh, and by physicists, and certainly in Silicon Valley, which is where I was, it was being discussed you know, even more so. You've been involved in the video game industry and, and owned and sold a number of, of companies. Was your involvement in the video game industry the inspiration behind your books? Well, it was part of the inspiration um, because, you know, I was involved in creating video games, particularly when the iPhone came out. Uh, and uh, the games we made were you know, relatively primitive compared to what the uh, iPhones of today can do. Uh, but yet, you, know, you can still build these little worlds inside the game. 
And so when we sold uh, our company, I ended up becoming an investor in a number of different uh, video game startups, including companies like Discord, Telltale Games, which made games based on Game of Thrones and The Walking Dead, which were really popular, uh, as well as some virtual – I ran a, a virtual reality uh, and augmented reality startup accelerator at MIT called Play Labs, uh, which was at the MIT Media Lab. And so it was during that time that really I started to think more about the technological basis uh, of, of what – the simulation point would really look like. And so I took basic video games, starting with uh, text adventure games back in the 1970s, like Colossal Cave Adventure or Zork, one, two, three in the 80s, as well as these old arcade games, uh, and brought them forward. Uh, and, and that brought us to stage three or four or five out of uh, 10 stages that I laid out. And so it was, it was partly from projecting forward and trying to figure out, you know, what are the things that people in Silicon Valley will be investing in and how will virtual reality look in 15, 20 years, uh, in 30 years, how about in 50 years? Um, and that was part of the inspiration for the book. The other inspiration was just that, you know, I had spent sort of a double life, you know, while I was an entrepreneur in, in the software and video game industries and investor, I had also explored a lot of different uh, states of consciousness, a lot of different practices ranging from lucid dreaming to Tibetan dream yoga to shamanic journeying. And, you know, so I had spent a lot of time with people in, in that world, uh, as well as investigating things like UFOs. Uh, and so the simulation hypothesis gave me this ability to kind of link my day-to-day -day work, which is about technology, uh, as well as uh, some of the time I spent with scientists uh, and academic institutions with kind of the states of consciousness, traditional religion, as well as non-traditional explorations. And I found that the simulation hypothesis was one of the few metaphors that could be a common language, you know, that was spoken uh, between these sides. I mean, 500 years ago, you had re religion in charge in the West, and Galileo got in trouble for, you know, saying that uh, the Earth may not be the center of the universe or uh, by asking people to look at the telescopes. Uh, using the Copernican model. And so back then, you know, there was this underground group of people who uh, were pushing science. And now we've gone the other way. We've gone where science has become the mainstream dominant paradigm. And they tend to uh, uh, put down the, the consciousness and the religious side of things. Uh, and so they, these, these two sides don't always talk to each other. Uh, and so that, that was one of my other inspirations for really getting involved within simulation theory in general. I want to come back to what you just said, because I think science has become dogmatic in a way. But I remember going from Pong to Atari to where we are today. Now we have virtual reality like Oculus, the metaverse, movies like Ready Player One. How lost are we in the illusion? How close is humanity to merging with a virtual world that is not real. But well, you know, as I said, I laid out these these 10 stages and we're about halfway there. And so as our virtual reality gets more photorealistic, as our augmented reality can show objects to us that are not really there, we start to see this convergence between the digital and the physical world. And what 3D printers are showing us is that you can represent pretty much any object with information. Uh, and to use another Star Trek metaphor, I, I brought up the holodeck earlier, 
the other, you know, interesting, one of the other interesting pieces of technology within Star Trek is the replicator. You know, when uh, Captain Picard says, you know, tea, you're all very hot, it'll basically manufacture the cup and the coffee or the tea that goes inside. And so today's 3D printers, you know, usually only use one material, but there are already people experimenting with uh, biological 3D printers, and who knows soon we'll have with liquids as well. Uh, there are, are, are now companies and research groups that can use human cells uh, to 3D print, uh, you know, pieces of skin, for example, for skin grafts and all these types of things. And so we're seeing it get more and more sophisticated. Um, uh, but then really, I think, you know, once we get to the stage of brain-computer interfaces, uh, or BCIs, as they're called, that's when we get much closer you know, to merging the physical reality with the virtual reality. And today, everyone's talking about the metaverse, uh, including you know Facebook having changed its name. Uh, Zuckerberg announced, uh, as most people have heard by now, they changed its name to Meta because they wanted to be one of the key players in the metaverse. And so, you know, the roadmap for the metaverse turns out is actually very similar to the road to the simulation point that I described. Uh, and in uh, the Matrix, uh, you'll remember that the Neo and Morpheus and Trinity, they were all plugged in to the Matrix with this wire into the back of the head. And so that's an example of a brain-computer interface. And there are companies now that are creating BCIs, including Elon Musk's Neuralink uh, and a bunch of others. And many of them are non-invasive, so they just try to read the electrical signals coming out of the brain as opposed to you know, requiring this cable that connects it, but there was actually a, a demo recently um, that Elon Musk did where they showed a monkey and they taught the monkey to play a video game. Which game was it? It was Pong, right? As you mentioned, which was the first widely available video game. For some reason, ping pong keeps coming up, you know, as we talk about this topic. Uh, and so the monkey learned to play with a joystick and then they disconnected the joystick. And so the monkey thought it was still playing with a joystick, but they were reading the brain signals from the monkey's brain and they could figure out when it wanted to go left or right or up and down, you know, for, for playing this virtual ping pong game. And and so that was showing that you know, they, we've got the ability to read. We don't know yet how to send signals into the brain, but so that's a very big part uh, of the stages before we would get to uh, build something like uh, the Matrix. But, you know, I wrote a, a, an essay for Scientific American earlier this year saying the metaverse is coming, but we may already be in it. Um, and so, you know, from the point of view of, merging with, 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 with the metaverse in our own virtual reality, I'd say we're still a few decades away uh, and, and you know, at the most 100 years out to this theoretical point I call the simulation point. The other thing is AI residents or AI characters within the metaverse. Uh, and so those are just starting to come online. You may have heard about the, uh, the chatbot recently that a Google engineer said it thought that it was Thank conscious you. or it certainly seemed that way. Right? It was called Lambda. Yep. Um, and so that was big news recently. And so we're getting closer and closer to having characters, virtual characters that you can have conversations with. There's there's a, a chat bot called Kooky, which was uh, part of the original inspiration for the movie Her. I don't know if you saw that, that sure. movie uh, where the guy has a relationship with uh, Scarlett Johansson's voice. Joaquin <laughs> uh, Phoenix was the, the actor, right? Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, Joaquin Phoenix. That's, yeah. that's right. Um, and so, so the, the, the guy who made the, that film, he was inspired by the chatbot, which has now become Kooky, which is not just a chatbot, but it has an actual character, a visual, you know, avatar, and you can interact with it. And 
you know, I actually interviewed Kuki on a podcast that I did for my podcast simulated uh, universe uh, last year, but, and I posted the video up on YouTube somewhere, but it's interesting to think, you know, we're getting closer and closer to all of these stages. And eventually we'd get to the stage that's depicted in shows like Up- Upload uh, and others where you can download your silicon consciousness, I mean, your, 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 your consciousness into silicon so that you could basically become a resident of the metaverse. Right? And we're kind of getting into, you know, kind of strange philosophical questions about digital afterlife versus biological afterlife and these types of things. But, you know, most scientists believe we're not that far off from meeting any of these individual stages. I personally think we're at least, you know, at least a few decades, if not uh, maybe 100 years, maybe 200 years at the most. But that's not very much time in the cosmic scale of things. It was interesting that when we were playing virtual table tennis, you actually in- instinctively put the quote-unquote paddle down onto the quote-unquote table and attempted to lean on the table just like you might have done after a real table. So the, the, the kind of immersion and, and the folding the mind is just incredible. But you mentioned Black Mirror, for example. You mentioned Black Mirror in, in your book and We'll discuss it later, but just one of the episodes came to mind that you don't discuss in your book. But I don't know if you remember, I forgot the actual title of the episode, but it was a woman who lost her husband, an accident or something happened to him, and a company was able to manufacture a clone of of the husband based on the social media life that he had. So when she received the package, she saw the face, he looked much younger, no wrinkles. And they said, well, it's because, you know, people usually, you know, use filters. You remember that episode? You know, I didn't see the episode, but it's very much based on uh, this idea of a digital afterlife. Exactly. There, are, there, was a, there was a woman in Russia who, you know, she had a friend who died and she created a chatbot based upon, you know, all of the social media posts from that person. And then there was another one. I forget the name of it now. I think it was called like Virtual Dad or something like that, where some guy did that for his father and it was a chatbot that was out there and it got a lot of attention a few years ago. And so we're already seeing the beginnings of that, which is that because we produce more information uh, through our lives now that's digitized than ever before, that information is available to train uh, an AI that might look and sound like you. I mean, most people have heard of deep fakes now where you know you can have a, uh, an image generated by AI uh, that starts to look very realistic. And generally speaking, if you just see the picture, it's hard to tell now. They've gotten so good. If you look at uh, like Epic, uh, which is the parent company of Fortnite, they have metahumans. But it's gotten to the point where if you just look at a static image, it's almost diff- you know it's almost difficult to distinguish between a virtual character and a real character. And there are virtual characters now that have millions of followers, millions of followers on YouTube and Instagram and other places like that. And so we're seeing this technology advance. Uh, and, and of course, if you take it to its logical conclusion, um, you know, it, it's that one, you would be able to upload that consciousness. And, and some people think that it's a, it's just a matter of being able to map all the neurons in the brain and the connections between those neurons, which is that's what's called the connectome. And so if they can do that, they can go further than just the social media posts or the pictures that have been out there. They can actually, you know, basically get the memories and everything that's in there. That's a controversial area, right? Because that assumes that consciousness is simply uh, an emergent property of the physical neurons and the connections. Uh, and, and so, you know, there's a, 
there's a debate within simulation theory, and, and actually not that many people talk about this, but I think it's actually one of the most important aspects. Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section, or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today, with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.